0: So we are in this series called Thirty Minute Theology. Show of hands. Are you guys enjoying this? Should I stop it now or we keep going? How we feel about it? Keep going. keep going. Okay. It's a little bit different style, right? It's it's a little more uh teachy versus preachy, right? Which is a good thing I think sometimes, you know. But but we're kind of going through scripture and, and, and kind of unpacking it in a in a I guess a, if you were to use the illustration, a steak and potatoes kind of way, right? Like it's more nutritional than a donut. You know, the donut's good every now and then, but we're, we're, this is we're it's hearty, it's meaty, right? And so that's kind of the goal of this series, and, and at times I hope it doesn't get boring. I don't think it gets boring myself, but but at times it can be uh, a little dense, and we kind of have to work, right? We have to work to stay focused, work to, to kind of understand it, and that, and that can make it a little more difficult. That's why uh, I intend. Intentionally, am trying to do this in the summer because you, if you come to church in the summer, you're dedicated, right? <laughs> and you guys are dedicated. So I, I'm excited about going forward. Uh, week one, we talked about the fact that there's all these different things that kind of shape our theology. But the all those things are good and necessary, but each one of them can kind of be manipulated or misunderstood, or even misleading at times. And so there has to be some kind of ultimate authority. And so we unpack the fact that the Bible has to be the ultimate authority. It stands up against the test of time. It stands up against uh, textual criticism. It stands up against history. Like the Bible is, is the one thing that stays true no matter what. Even when culture changes, even when things happen, the Bible has to be that authority. But what happens when the Bible can be interpreted in different ways, right? That's when you kind of had these differences of like denominations and understanding. And as we kind of go through and unpack the Bible, there's there's disagreements that happen. And that's when you kind of get these these different camps inside of Christianity, if you will, right? And and what I I want us to see is that just because someone is a part of a different camp doesn't mean that they're an enemy, right? Just because they're Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist or whatever it is doesn't mean they're enemy. It just means that they interpret a little bit different than we do. And truth be told, if all of us sat down in here and talked about how we interpret different parts, there'd be different times where we would disagree, right? It's, It's kind of a, we're all... Uh, finite humans trying to understand an infinite God, and so we're kind of studying this, and so we kind of went from, from the fact that Scripture is our ultimate authority, and last week we kind of laid the foundation that, that we are ultimately totally deprived, that we are like in a dark cave, there's no way left to our own devices that we could choose God. Like we have this will, and if it's left up to us, we'll always choose evil. But God, like a light in the cave, frees our will so that at that moment we can choose good or bad, so that we can choose to follow him. The message was kind of, uh, when I went back and listened to it, it's not online yet because of a technical difficulty, but it will be online along with today's message later this week, so you can go back and listen to it. But when I was kind of going through it, it's kind of left a little something to, to be understood. But I really wanted to lay the foundation because as I move forward, especially in today's message and going forward, I'll say things like choose God or, or surrender your life or, or accept the gift. And those things, it, it makes it almost sound like we have the power. But what I wanted to say before we get there is that the only reason we have the ability to choose is because God first acted. He went before. So that foundation laid, I want to go into today's message, which kind of unpacks why on our own, we can't choose God. Why? Go back to the illustration from last week. If we're a lion in a cage, and we've got meat or wheat, we would always choose meat unless God acts. And that's because of sin, right? Sin is, you got this sin that's like original sin, which was Adam, and you've got sin that's like the sin that's act, that you act on, that's intentional, unintentional sin. And sin is kind of this obscure, thick topic. If I say sin, how would you define it? Some of us would define it as a willful act. Some of us would define it as uh, something we do to break the covenant. There's all kinds of... If you go to the the, uh, documents or the articles of religion for every denomination, they're all going to have a different understanding of sin. So who is right? Who is right? And I think that ultimately, if you can defend it in Scripture and you point the Bible, that we can hear your argument. But it's important, it's important that we unpack and know why we believe what we believe. And as a Wesleyan church, and as me personally, the pastor, kind of falling into this conviction, there's a a certain theological stance on sin that a lot of denominations, not all of them, but a lot of them don't agree with that I want to talk about today. So if we talk about sin, I made sure my markers work for us today. Sin is kind of a twofold, right? Sin is both an act and a disease. That still doesn't look right. Is that right? That's right. It was right. It was right. Okay. So sin is act and disease, right? It's two parts. Act is is a lot easier for us to understand. Am I right? So sin is like a, uh, act is like Addie Lee the other day was um, playing in the house, and something she does uh, does often, plays in the house and absolutely destroys it. The living room is never clean. There's toys everywhere, right? She hasn't quite got to the age where she can put it back. We're working on that. Not there yet. But she's playing in the house, and she kind of goes, and we have this desk that's against a wall that's kind of like an office space. And she's not allowed under there because there's a couple different outlets, right? And there used to be a surge protector. We have moved that because (laughs) it was on the ground easy for her to reach but the outlet is still there and so she crawls under this table and we're like Addie lee you're not supposed to be under there come out here come here which she's now learned to say mirror mirror because we're always saying come here right and so she's under there and we're like come out there and she kind of looks at the outlet and you're like oh who's seen finding nemo and they're like oh he's gonna touch the butt right he sticks out his fin so she's like looking at this outlet and we're like Addie lee no ma'am She reaches out her finger, like literally testing us, and starts to. And as soon as she starts to go forward, Lauren and I at the same time go, "No!" like that, and it like scared her. She came back, came out from under the table, and has not yet gone back to underneath the table. Right, like, but there's this sense of there was something she was not supposed to do, and she acted. On doing that, right? This is that sin of act. It's the, if we're growing up, you're in the household, it's these household rules, but then as we get older, there's also the state laws. And there's kind of like all throughout our life, young or old, we see that there's this these rules that we have to follow that are set down by people who are in authority over us, right? Whether it's the, the government or whether it's our, our parents, whatever, there's these household, state, whatever rules that we're supposed to follow. Now, the responsibility of those who set the rules is to ensure peace and cooperativeness and, and togetherness, right? And that's the reason there's this, these laws that are before us and when we look at God, we see if you look at Psalm 145.9, it says that the Lord is good to all and has compassion on all that he has made. So we see that God is governing. He's above all from a sense of love, not just lording over us. But in that sense of love, he sets forth rules to govern peace, to show us how we should live, to show us what's right and what's wrong without the law we don't, we're like wondering, we don't know what's right and what's wrong, right? And this law is, is summarized in the, the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, they, they're kind of broken down. They're broken down, the first few are like making sure that God is number one, right? And then there's a, another set that's kind of talking about how you love your neighbor. So we see the law summarized into the Ten Commandments, but then the summary is even summarized further by Jesus in the New Testament when he's asked, what's the greatest command? He says, love your God and love your neighbor. See, there's this command, there's these laws that we're supposed to obey to live under. And this law is to love God, make sure he's number one, he's above all, he's above family, he's above work, he's above hobby, he's above everything. But then by loving God, you also love your neighbor. You care for those. You show love, not hate. You're, you're lending a helping hand. You're serving. There's this vertical and horizontal, right? And when we break those commands, when we break those rules, we sin and act. And we kind of get that, right? When you do something you're not supposed to do, you've sinned and act. But it goes further, because see, breaking of the laws is is an outward action, or even an inward thought, or or comment, or something in your brain, right? And so that that can be the act. But then going from there, we have to see that the symptom is is something much deeper. If you have your Bibles, our our main text today is going to be in Romans chapter five. We're looking at verses twelve through twenty, and it's it's kind of a bit of reading, but I want to read all of it because I think Paul is uh, making a profound statement here. And verse starting with verse 12 he says therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in his way death came to all people because all have sinned to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given so before those commands were there there was still sin but sin is not charged against anyone whose account Where there is no law, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, and even over those who did not sin by breaking the command. So you see, there's this command that even before the law was there, even those that didn't break the command, there's still a sin, there's still a disease, there's still something prior to the act. Picking back up at verse 15, it says, "But the gift of the gift is not like the trespass." For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, talking about Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, talking about Jesus, that overflows to many. Verse 16 says, Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed by sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in, in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespasses resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justica- justification in life for all. This is 19 is key. If you don't hear any of this, hear this. It says, for just as though through the disobedience of the one man, there were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, the many were made righteous. You see what's happening here? Paul is saying, hey, there was one man, there was Adam, and Adam sinned. And because Adam and Eve sinned, Adam represents both of them in this picture, because both of them sinned, that sin disease, that sin nature, passes through all humanity. This is a this can be a little bit harder for especially us in American culture to understand, but I think we can get it. I, I look look at your family. Like I look at my family. We're all pretty close. Like we have these big events, we're always hanging out. When one family is hurt, we all hurt. We pray for each other, we're there. And I think we all kind of get that even in our church family, right? So there's this connectiveness between all of humanity. Right? And and if you look at but what the Bible kind of teaches that because Adam and Eve were the mother and father to everyone, right? if you pass it all the way down, it comes to Adam and Eve, that because of that, that sin, we participated in it. The, the, kind of the, a way to understand this almost is, is if you look at the actual anatomy of a female, right? A female is born with all of the eggs that she will ever have. So, so every generation that's going to come from me is already in Addie Lee, right? So what they're saying is that even in Adam and Eve, even in that time, every generation, you and I, all those before, all those after us, were there in Adam and Eve, and in that sense, we participated. In the sin of Adam, the Adamic uh, sin is what is called, this original sin. And therefore, we contracted this disease called sin. It's more than just an outward act, but it's, it's a disease that affects the whole heart. You see, you and I don't, we're not sinners because we sin and act. We sin and act because we're sinners. Does that make sense? So there's this sense of the disease doesn't just affect me as a, a way of doing things, but it affects me as in it's kind of there from the original. It's because I'm a descendant of Adam. There's no way to, to break this. I'm a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner. Do you, you follow me? It's a little bit harder for us to understand. But and it, it, when I read it, I almost think it, let's just be real. Well, that's not fair, (laughs) right? I had no control over what Adam did. Why does his sin affect me? That's not fair. And when Paul is sitting here, and he says, all has sinned. All have this trouble. All comes from this death is on all. It's not because all act. It's because all have the disease. And I have this disease because of something that Adam did. And it raises up this in me that says uh, it's not fair. But when we look at that story, when we read that Adam and Eve, they... They had this moment where they were tempted and they could have said, you know, not my will, but God's will. But instead, through their actions, they yell in the face of God, not your will, but mine. And as time has gone on, let's be honest, all throughout our lives, we tend to make ourselves God and not God. And we say, not your will, God, but mine. And we've participated in act, but we've also participated in the fact that we have the original disease. If we look at, it, have you ever been to the mall and you try to figure out, you go to that little sign, right? And, and uh, this is an illustration from Timothy Tennant, who's the uh, president of Asbury Theological Seminary, right? So I don't want to take credit for it. He came up with this, but he kind of says there's this, this sign at the mall and you're trying to figure out where you're at. And there's this beautiful little circle that says you are here, right? And we went to a mall in North Carolina one time that did not have that sign. And we were trying to desperately find some coffee and there's a Starbucks on there. And we walked back and forth around this mall for like an hour trying to find this Starbucks because we didn't know where we were. And then eventually we found a sign that had that. And we said, oh, we need to go upstairs and then take this turn and bam, it was right there, right? We, we were able to find out where we are because of this sign that says, you are here. So when we go back and we read about the fall, there's a sign that says, you are here. When Adam takes a bite of the apple when eve takes a bite of the fruit not necessarily an apple takes a bite of the fruit you are here when their actions say not your will but mine you are here i am there we are in that story and this one man that was a representative of all has condemned us all by being human we are we have more than just a sinful act but we have this sin disease that penetrates all the way to the depths of our heart so how can we be healed And we talked about last week about this light in the cave that allows us to choose it. How does that happen? See, we are without exception. Every single one of us is bound by sin. There's There's no way for us to help each other. There's no way for me to help myself out or to help you out. There has to be something done to save humanity. There has to be something done, a new Adam that has this choice to either obey or disobey, just like the first Adam, but chooses the right way. In that I was talking about Timothy Tennant in his book The Fulfillment, he says it like this, and I want to read it because he, he says it better than I ever could. So stay with me. This is what he says. We have to find a way to go back and rewrite the first chapter of the human story. But how is that possible? God knows that the whole human race is ineligible. So it couldn't be an inside job. We couldn't help each other out. But what if, what if he did an outside job? a rebooting of the whole system, a radical entrance of God himself into the story of the human history. He had to find a way to enter the human race in an abnormal way that would not pass on the sin nature and yet would still be fully human. He had to come, there had to be someone who wouldn't give in to the sinful nature that didn't have the disease but was still human. So Christ was born of a virgin into the human race as the second Adam. You see the picture? The first person was representative of all humanity. So was the second Adam. Jesus Christ represents all of humanity as he comes. And this is the theological point. He was was 100% man. We have to understand Jesus is humanity. His words, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. 100% man, he had the ability at any moment to choose sin, but he was also 100% God. And the fact that the sin nature, the disease wasn't in him. It's it's difficult to understand, but that's the theology that God, that Jesus Christ is 100% man and 100% God. Satan would hurl the temptations at Jesus. It's so interesting, if you go and you look at the garden, that the temptation for Adam and Eve was to be like God, right? To know good and evil. God didn't want you to be like him. That's why he don't want, doesn't want you to eat from this tree. That's the temptation that the, the serpent gives, right? And yet you go to the temptation of Jesus, and what is he tempted with? provide provide for yourself by turning this rock into bread who is the provider god you're up on this on this building you can look out and you can see all these people if you will just bow down to me i will make them bow down to you who do we worship god the temptations of jesus were that he would be like god but he already was god and he had every opportunity to sin. He had every opportunity to choose disobedience. He had every opportunity that the first Adam did. Yet he chose to obey God and to not give in to the rebellion. Hebrews 4.15 says that, For we do not have a high priest, I mean Jesus, a representative, who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like for us to want to spend too much money, eat too much food, lose too much of our temper. He knows what it's like to to, to be tempted to sin. He can empathize with our weakness because he was 100% man. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Jesus had to face the same things you face, yet he did not sin. Temptation after temptation, Jesus never gave in. He was the God-man. He had the capacity to sin or not sin, and he didn't. He was perfect and holy, and yet he was hung on the cross. He died, and in dying on the cross as the perfect Lamb of God without blemish, he covered our sin he took our place. That and uh we talked about David a few weeks ago, and and he he writes this this poem in the Psalms after he sins, right? And he says that he asked that God would blot out his transgressions. Blot out his transgressions. It's this sense of, of if I've got this white t-shirt, right, and it's got this sin on it, this sin stain, barbecue sauce, right? And God is this, his death on the cross, his blood is the life force, which we've talked about this before, like death can only be blotted out by life, right? So his blood is the life force, the tide pin that covers up that sin. So, so, so we have, for our acts of sin, we've got pardon, Right? Jesus is the perfect Lamb without sin, the perfect sacrifice, and his blood, if you go and you look at the Old testament there's this word that that we use called atonement, right? How many people have ever heard of atonement right? It means atonement, and you know that when they were going and and trying to translate the Hebrew bible they they realized that there's this this thing that happens when the blood when the animal is sacrificed and the blood covers the ark that there's this sense that that the people are made one with Christ. They can now be in relationship because sin, God is this just holy God and sin cannot be in his presence. So something had to make, something had to happen that would make us at one with him. And there was no Christian, there was no word in the language that would understand that Hebrew, that Hebrew word. So that literally had to Come up with one. And they came up with atonement at one minute because every time that the blood covered the ark, every time the blood made the sacrifice, people were able to be at one with their creator. See, we can't be in the presence of God because we are covered in sin. But Jesus lived the perfect life and died on the cross and pardoned us. His sin made us at one with, or his sinlessness on the cross covered our sin and allowed us to be at one with him. You see that our acts are covered and there are plenty of Christians denominations that say, this is it, that we can be in relationship with God because he sees us as righteous because our sins are covered. And this is a wonderful miracle. This is a beautiful thing. We can be in relationship with God because he doesn't see our sins. He sees Jesus on the cross. We are forgiven. No matter how bad our past is, no matter how bad your future is, you are forgiven when you trust in the cross, when you surrender your life to Jesus. You have that pardon. This is, if this were a bumper sticker, it would say, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven right? So if you uh, spray water over your truck and hit somebody behind you, you got the bumper sticker that says, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven, right? So if you lose your temper and you give somebody that, that one finger salute, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven, And this is true, right? I'm not perfect, but you're forgiven. I fall short. I sin. I I hurt those around me. I say things I wish I wouldn't have said. I make decisions I I wish I wouldn't have made. And I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. But the problem here, the problem here is that though my acts are covered, and though I have relationship, and though I'm forgiven, What do I do about the addiction that I can't seem to break? What do I do about the fact that I keep losing my temper, that I keep spending that money, that I keep struggling with that eating disorder? What do I do about the sin disease? Does it not go away? Am I always going to be sinful even though those sins are covered? Or is there a possibility for me not to sin? I'm not saying be perfect as in sinless, but perfect as in, Jesus says this, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Kind of like if I have a, a circle, right? This circle is incomplete. It's not perfect. Well, now if I complete it, it's made whole. It would be a perfect circle. Not in the fact that the it's a, a perfect circle, like if I had the little tool with a little protractor, so that there was no, see the, the some edges are, are further apart than others. It's not perfect in in sinlessness, but perfect in wholeness, as in God has completed us. So there is this sense of of a fact that, like, you, you, you don't have to you don't have to sin, right? The the disease has to be taken care of, and that's what I love about this passage in Romans. If you go specifically to Romans five nineteen, 519, it says, "For just as though the disobedience of one man, Adam, made made us, we were made sinners." So also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Jesus chose obedience. Thanks to the second Adam, we can choose obedience. You see that picture? If if we're we're talking about the you are here sign and we're over here and we're looking, we go back and we read about the fall of man and Adam and Eve and, and we say, you know what? the you are here sign is is not there anymore because i've put my trust in jesus i've put my trust my faith my life in the second adam so the you are here sign is no longer with the first adam but as the story unfolds and we turn through the pages of the new testament and we see jesus going out and healing the sick you know what sign is there you are here when we see Jesus in the desert and Satan hurling temptation at him, you know what, and, and Jesus choosing God's will over his own, you know what sign is there? You are here. We now live with the second Adam. We now have Christ in us and we can choose obedience over sin. The disease, the disease is taken care of. It it, it kind of all culminates in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, you see, you go from, it's, it's crazy, right? You go to the first Adam, where did the, where did the sin take place? Garden of Eden. You see the picture? You go from garden to garden. And I'm gonna read from Timothy Tennant again in the book, The Fulfillment. He says, after a lifetime of choosing the Father's will above his own, Jesus is prepared to choose God, or is Jesus prepared to choose God's will in the final test? Is he ready to take upon himself the sins of the whole world, to suffer the separation from his father, to bear the wrath of God for the sins of humanity from Adam until the end of time? The most intense moment of human history. The decision of Jesus at this very moment, on his knees, sweating blood, crying out to God, holds the fate of the whole human race in the balance. You, you see that picture? If you go and you read this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has got such anguish that he's crying and sweating blood. Think about the turmoil. He's looking and he knows what's gonna happen. And a lot of times we miss this because we know that he chooses to follow God and we know the end of the book. But in this moment, Jesus is seeing the deep pain he is about to face. He knows everything that's coming. He knows all of the gore, all of the hardship, all of the stabbing in the back, everything that's gonna happen with the cross. He knows all of it is coming. And in that moment, he can choose to walk away. He can choose to be like the first Adam and say, not your will, but mine or he could choose to follow God. And he says these magic words, not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, Christ chose obedience. In that moment, he changed the motto of the rebellion. It's no longer the no in the first Adam, but the yes in the obedience of Christ. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, his power, when we accept it, his power is more than just pardon. It's more than just pardon, but it's power. The disease is taken care of as well, which means we don't have to be stuck in sin. This is this is complicated because we still sin, right? It's not, it's not perfection in the fact that we're sinless, but the de- disease is dealt with, and you don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to keep giving in. You don't have to have sin have control over you. The, the disease has been healed by the power of Christ, and the act has been pardoned. Act and disease covered by both pardon and power. But if sin has lost its power, this is, a, this is for a different sermon, so I'm going to make this quick, but, but I feel like I needed to add this to the end because if sin has lost its power, how come at times does it still seem so powerful? Right? Philippians two twelve through 13 says this, "'Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed,' this is Paul writing to the Philippians, "'not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence,' He says, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So when we look at salvation, when we look at salvation, it is a free gift of grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn it, but there's also this this tension that's held in scripture that says, you know what, while it's a free gift of grace granted to us, there's also a responsibility that comes with it. This goes back to a lot of the scripture that we used last week with the ability to choose. And, And Paul says that we have to work out our salvation. There's nothing we can do to work our salvation. It's all from God. So what is Paul talking about here? He's saying that, look, just because Just because the the disease has been healed doesn't mean that it's this magic pill that makes the temptation go away. There's gonna be times of a struggle. There's gonna be times of failure. But it's like this. While you have the bumper sticker that says, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. There's a better one. There's a better one that says, I'm not just forgiven. I'm being made perfect that makes sense i'm not just forgiven i'm being made perfect we have the ability to heal we have the ability to do good to have sin defeated in our life but it requires some work and it's not always going to be perfect there's going to be times where we where we fail but that failure is not our identity see see th- there's faith involved either way you can have faith that your sin is defeated, that God's power is greater than sin. But the truth is, when we let sin win over and over and over again, we haven't placed our faith in the power of God. We've placed our faith in the power of sin. It's not fun to say that out loud, right? Because our sin's forgiven. We have salvation. But if it keeps winning and we keep giving in, and we make no attempt at being holy, at being set apart, at, at obedience, then we're saying, you know what? Even though I'm forgiven, the power still lies in sin. We have to understand that God has healed the disease, and he has pardoned the act, that we can work together to rid ourselves, that we don't have to sin. It's like a alcoholic going to an AA meeting, Right? They go to these meetings and they support each other and they work hard because the temptation is there. But just because the temptation is there doesn't mean they have to go in. You talk to an alcoholic who has been sober for 50 years. They'll still call themselves an alcoholic, right? We, the sin disease has been healed in us, but it's still gonna be a struggle until we get to heaven and it's completely, and we're glorified, right? But we don't have to give in. You don't have to sin in word, thought, and deed every day. And there's a, lot, there's a lot of Christians that would disagree with me when I say that. But God has healed the disease, and we love him, so we don't have to give in every day. There's going to be times of victory. And I want to close, close with a, a line from that song we had during our, our prayer time, It Is Well With My Soul. There's this powerful moment in that song where it says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole. It's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I'm not just forgiven, I'm being made perfect sin doesn't have the final word. I don't have to give in. I don't have to sin because the disease as well as the act have been covered by the power of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you for your plan of the second Adam of stepping out of heaven that that you went to the cross and you covered my sin. And Lord, thank you for the fact that not only am I forgiven for my acts, but you are making me whole, showing me new things every day and ways that I can be more like you. And I pray that, that we will learn what it means to work out our salvation with trembling, that it's you that works in us, that it's us walking in the second Adam, walking in that obedience, choosing obedience over rebellion. Not because I could do it on my own, Lord, for so long, I've heard teaching in the church that says, just stop it, just stop it. But that's, I don't have the ability to just stop it. I have to first place my trust in you and you rid me of the axe, Lord, and you rid me of the disease. Let me be a person, let us be a church that walks in the pardon and the power of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.